Welcome back, everyone, um, to our discussion about regenerative agriculture. I have a sound of a tractor in my background. Apologies, I'm a deep in rural Latvia, so there's quite a lot of forestry trucks and tractors around me. Um, uh, really looking forward to a session here about regenerative in agriculture. Um, as I mentioned in the previous session, I, I have another business called Innovation Forum, and through that business, we do a lot of regenerative ag work with big companies and sustainable agriculture work. And I can tell you, uh, you won't be surprised Regenerative ag is all the rage. Um, there isn't a big company with an agricultural footprint that doesn't have a regenerative agriculture strategy. And a cynic would say it's just the latest in a long line of buzzwords, uh, which has popped up based on some work initially done by the Rodale Institute. At least they, they would claim that. Um, and it's been described to me as, as by a real critic as two different kinds of greenwash. Uh, you've got the organic super hardcore re renewable organic certification regenerative approach which is very prescriptive uh, and that's one kind of um one kind of greenwash in the sense that it's not really scalable says the critics and the other criticism is well you've got enormous companies like general mills and others committing to a million hectares of regenerative farming and what on earth does that mean in practice it's just rebadging sustainable agriculture with a better more compelling sounding name so I'll ask our panel to discuss that in a moment and what their views are, and then we'll move into the detail of it. But in, before we do that, I'll ask them just to introduce themselves and say who they are and what they do. So, Abby, starting with you. Yeah, hi. Um, <clears throat> I'm Abby Rose. Um, I, get, I got into farming because I, my family started a small farm in Chile about 15 years ago now. Um, and so we do... I spend, I spend two months of the year there. Um, <clears throat> the rest of the time I'm, I'm based in London. Um, and we take a regenerative approach to farming, which we can dig into what that means in a sec. Um, and we have a small vineyard there. Um, and then I'm also the co-founder of VitaCycle Tech. Um, we make apps to support regenerative approaches to farming um, and including one app called Sector Mentor. Um, and that's specifically focused on viticulture and how, how we can support viticulture to have this more regenerative way. And I would say one of the key things is observation. So we really support the power of observation and we have like an earthworm tool and a biodiversity tool alongside more conventional viticulture indicators to kind of help bring everything together in one place. Um, and I guess my passion around that is actually soil um, and how much you can learn from looking at soil. And I think that's something that's really underestimated. Um, and certainly that's where I started my soil journey and it was a light bulb moment. Um, and finally, I'm the co-creator of a podcast called Farmerama Radio. Um, and we share the voices of the regenerative farming movement. It's been going about five, six years. Um, definitely recommend people tuning in if you wanna hear kind of systemic stories about regenerative approaches, particularly Great. like- Thank you. Yeah. We post a link to that podcast in the chat. I'm sure lots of us would like to sign up to it. I certainly would. Um, there are lots of regenerative podcasts out there, but lots of them sort of turn up for three episodes and then disappear. <laughs> or last updated in 2011 is often a common thing you see with podcasts. So good to know someone's doing it regularly. regularly. Um, I can't speak regularly. Uh, Zhao, tell us about yourself and what you do. 
Well, good morning. First of all, thank the Sustainable Wine crew for, for the invitation. Uh, I'm, my name is Jean Borrosa. I'm an environmental engineer by trade. And since 2014, I've been leading the Wines of Alentejo Sustainability Program. So Alentejo, for those who don't know, is a region in Portugal, a grape-growing wine growing region. Um, we decided not to reinvent the wheel. There were so many interesting projects around the world, particularly in the new world of wine, related to sustainability programs, particularly the cases of California and Chile, were the ones that we find most inspiring, not only due to the fact they were readily available, and we had a fairly good relationship institutionally with both organizations, but also because in terms of endophoclimatic circumstances, they were the ones more related to, to Alentejo, and so thus we kind of got what they had, put on our own team, mixed it, gave it a go, and created our own scheme that's been going on for now almost nine years. We started with 95 members. Now we have almost 500 members. Uh, it's been going good. We also have a third-party certification. I mean, we started last year certifying producers. We don't have many yet. We have four certified producers because you know it takes its time. It's not a greenwashing tool. It's a, a real thing. So um, yeah, that's pretty much what we, I've been doing and I'm looking forward to share some, some opinions with you guys. Thanks very much. And I'd be really interested to hear, Jao, what regenerative means to your members. Um, you know, sometimes words don't translate that well. I know that in certain languages, the word sustainability really doesn't translate very well at all. Um, so Stephen, over to you. Thanks, Toby. And thanks for having me uh, on, on, your, on your show. Um, so yeah, I'm Stephen Cronk. I'm uh, a Brit who moved to Provence 12 years ago. I'm actually currently back in London in confinement in an Airbnb in a basement um, uh, as I have meetings over here. But basically my story is that I was in the wine trade in my 20s, which was in the 80s. So I'm pretty ancient um, and uh, had my wine company in London when I was 24. I, by the time I was 30, I was broke. Um, went into telecoms, which was booming at the time, managed to pay off my debts and eventually pay off the mortgage. And I said to my wife, one day, I want to go back into, into the wine trade and, and buy, a, buy a wine estate. Um, thankfully, I was talked out of it by friends of mine who realized I was massively undercapitalized and underexperienced. But I decided to move anyway. So my wife and my three children and myself moved to Provence in 2009. We created a, um, a brand called Mirabeau, um, which is a Côte de Provence rosé brand. And uh, the idea was eventually once the business was big enough to sustain a mortgage, <laughs> we would buy a wine farm um, or wine estate. So we eventually bought a wine estate in 2019. So I am officially a, a novice winemaker. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, we, we looked at 39 vineyards before we found the right one. But even the right one, which is aesthetically beautiful, um, surrounded by uh, um, um, a natural res a national reserve, um, you know, it had been farmed for 200 years. The soils have been seriously depleted. And we knew already that we were going to go organic. But once we realized the, uh, the lack of organic matter in the soil, we realized organic wasn't going to regenerate the soil and, and it was just going to keep us at standstill. So having I, I, a friend of mine sent me an article written, written by Eric Asimov about Mimi Castile in, in Oregon. And I thought, okay, it's got to be regenerative. So we're just starting the journey. And what was very interesting for me, or the biggest challenge for me is once I had the kind of why I want to do this in my head, the next question is, how do I do it? And I really found a, a, a struggle to find any resources where, where I could get a kind of how to, how to do this, steps one, two, three, 
anywhere, which is why, and Alistair mentioned it earlier, that we were coming together to create the Regenerative Viticulture Foundation to try and pull together all these you know all, all these ideas and thoughts into one place so that we can just learn and and uh, and, and grow together in, in in this world of regen ag thanks very much looking forward to hearing more about how you how you would define it uh basil over to you hello uh, i'm basil desron um i'm making wine in uh, saint estef uh, up north of the medoc uh, in a family estate and born and raised in this area um we, uh, I'm also the president of uh, the Appellation saint Estef, so the village, uh, representing the 60 producers from the area. Um, we, uh, we, we came to a regenerative uh, agriculture and viticulture only two years ago. Uh, as French, we only have a, a binary uh, vision of the world, bad and good. And there, uh, for years, we've been only having one, one vision in Bordeaux that was organic or um, conventional. And that there, there was the only thing uh, we could see. And after a few years, we decided that uh, not only we were going to be organic, but there was something else. And uh, in the area in Bordeaux, we had a lack of information in about regenerative agriculture. And uh, so it's been two years now since we've been got involved into this movement. And, uh, and it's really interesting. Uh, we're learning on daily basis about that. So we just pulled off about uh, 4,000 vine trees in order to replant lately 2,500 trees. Uh, and we're gonna replant about 2,000 more at the end of the year. Um, the idea, um, I, I would like really to thank you for this uh, occasion you're giving us to talk. I've been listening to the previous uh, session that was really interesting also. Uh, but I think there's a, uh, there's a need for of information now in Bordeaux uh, for uh, regenerative agriculture and viticulture. Uh, and, um, and we're just at the beginning. And, but people are really, really interested in it. So staying with you, Basil, how, how well understood is this idea of regenerative in Bordeaux? Because, you know, Bordeaux has had a bit of a mixed reputation in the past, doesn't it, on, on pesticides. It had its own pesticide blend named after it, after all. Uh, and uh, and then things like biodynamics and organics are taking off now. And someone said, you know, you won't find a major chateau in Bordeaux that's not doing some kind of serious experimentation with, with bi biodynamics or organic. And we're seeing that shift. But um, how well understood is regenerative uh, up on the left bank or indeed anywhere else in Bordeaux? What are the kind of conversations you're having about it? Are people kind of puzzled as to what it means or do they, do they have some clarity? Well, I would say about two years ago, none of us had heard about it, even heard. And no one was paying much attention to it. Uh, since two years now, things have been moving really fast. Uh, I'm amazed uh, about how... how um, for instance, we've had, um, two, three months ago, we've had a, a group of, uh, that is called La Belle Vigne, um, that came to, La, they came to La Forroche and they came to explain to a few different uh, viticulture, uh, to, to a few different uh, winemakers, what they were doing and what we were doing here. Um, plenty of them came and we'll, uh, the, 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 the winemakers who came were from petit chateau to really large 
and uh, and big estates, much larger than much larger than ours. So the interest grew significantly within uh, within years and even within months. Uh, it's all about that at the moment. Everyone's talking about it. I mean, you had a, a huge article in, in Le Figaro uh, last week on Cheval Blanc uh, that has been has been has really been moving forward on that. I know that Saint Julien, the appellation, is also moving forward on that. It's a it's a global thinking, and it's quite simple, in fact, for us winemakers because as organic or biodynamic had. Uh, we, we, we felt that it was kind of difficult to understand. And uh, somehow regenerative agriculture is, uh, is quite common sense. So that's talking to us. You know, we've got, I think maybe we've got small brains, so we need a, a tiny amount of information in order to understand. So, uh, and that we all understood very fast. But how is it, what's your... What's your understanding of how it's defined? Because, you know, initially regenerative agriculture seems to have come from, you know, work by the Rodale Institute in the States and it's very focused on soil. But we now see organizations making regenerative the cornerstone or the renaming of sustainability, you know, socially regenerative, for example. So I wonder, what's your understanding of, of where it sits in your operations? Is it primarily and totally about the land or does it also encompass a, a wider set of issues that you're you're trying to tackle? Well, it must be taken in a wide uh, from from a wide perspective. It's uh, really from uh, from the beginning till the end. It's a way of thinking, much more than only about uh, working. Uh, it's every uh, we have a, um, here at Lafon. We have a, a way of thinking that it's uh, if you have a problem. Uh, in order to to in order to find a solution, you need to find a solution that costs nothing. And uh, so, basically, the way of thinking is the same. Uh, it's uh, it's not only about the cost; it's about the effective cost at the end, in terms of uh, money as well in terms of impact. And being being uh, in regenerative agriculture, so it's a, it's a it's kind of a, a difficult word to pronounce for me as a French. Uh, so um, is is really about every single step you're doing must be uh, um, must be accurate. Uh, from uh, it's not only about maintaining the soil cover, minimizing the soil uh, 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 how would I say um, disturbance. Uh, maintaining the living, it's 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 all it's all a global way of thinking. Uh, it's not only about lighter bottles or uh, transports. It's every everything uh, from the very beginning till the end, in my opinion. Okay, so it's it's all encompassing. It's effectively replacing sustainability as a paradigm. I mean, I, I think that one of the benefits of regenerative is it it's much more compelling. Sustainability has always been a bit vague. It doesn't translate well into languages like Russian, for example. God knows if regenerative does. Um, but regenerative to me, at least in English, feels a more compelling concept. And, and I think that has tremendous power. That alone is enough for me. But there are those critics who say it's just, you know, a couple of different forms of greenwash, take your pick. Abby, what are your views on that? Well, I, I just wanted to add to what Basile said there in that, I, I do. It's it's it is a it's a mindset for me, and and in my experience, and and there's no like prescriptive 
this is the regenerative recipe. It's actually a whole different way of approaching and looking and thinking about things. Um, and, and to me, like, I think it's about life that contributes or um, using life to build life, I think is one of the best ways to put it. Um, because going back to Basile's comment about no cost, <laughs> often if you look around you and see what the biological systems are doing and, and understand the ecosystem processes and, and how the life, you know, how life cycles are evolving, you can actually start to work with those um, and it's free. Um, and, and that will provide like solutions to whatever symptoms you're seeing. Um, so I think it's, it's much more about trying to understand root causes of things, um, not just sorting out, oh, we've got a pest, we need to kill it. It's much more about like, why have we got that pest? And, uh, you know, and understanding that actually, uh, you know, when plants have a, a BRICS level above 14, they're very unlikely to be attacked by pests. Um, and so actually, how can we build the health of our vines um, so we don't get the pests later down the line? So it, it's, for me, it's transformational. It's really exciting way to look at things. Um, and I think, you know, the farmer, a famous regenerative farmer in the US always says that he used to wake up thinking, what, what am I gonna kill today? And now he wakes up thinking like, what life can I encourage today on my farm? And also, you know, talking about, is regenerative just about soil? You could say like that sentence in itself is about so much more than soil. It's like about mental health. <laughs> it's about like how you feel about your life. You know, it, it quickly escalates is, is my experience is what I would say. Yeah, and to, to echo that, Abby, I think you make some really good points there. And I'd say that also, if we view soil as a living organism, then we might think differently about plowing it up every, every month because that's what our, our, our forefathers did. Um, you know, in, in, in my view, the, the, yes, re, you know, regenerative is just trying to codify a way of farming that isn't a monoculture way of farming. So I think it's, it's, it's a mindset, as, as Abby and Basil have said, um, and it's a way of viewing the vineyard holistically, not just with a mindset of, I have one crop, I don't care about anything else, nature is my enemy, weeds are things that I must kill. So it's a very different mindset, and it's you know, as Abby says, you know, it's it's a much more positive mindset when you're looking about looking at it from a kind of, you know, we must work with nature, and not try and kill it every day. Yeah, I mean that certainly sounds like an admirable idea, doesn't it? <laughs> a fairly simple one, right? Zhao, um, what does it mean to you? But in particular, to the same question that I answered, Basil, what, what does it mean to your producers? First of all, does the word translate well into Portuguese? It's a no, long, no. difficult word in English. And then secondly, you know, is it, do you get skepticism from growers who just say, oh, it's just another green buzzword I'm supposed to adhere to? I mean, what does it mean? On the well, ground? I, I'll give a step back previously. And looking at sustainability in itself, right? And then I think that the regeneration or the regenerative um, walks hand in hand with resilience. And this then links to the session previous to us, which was about climate change. And it's all about that. So you, you need, and then there's another third word, then you can also call it a buzzword or a new uh, synonym, which is responsibility. So you have uh, regeneration, you have resilience, and you have responsibility that probably these ones will indeed substitute or replace the famous or infamous social, environmental, economic aspects of sustainability. And sustainability for me keeps 
existing because that's the umbrella, the overall conceptual engaging factor. But then it is true that the, the, those terms or, or those concepts or those, uh, you know, make it happen aspects do need to have an evolution. And seems like this evolution might, may be materialized with, in fact, regeneration most mostly. But then again, and it's definitely very important not to forget why regeneration is important. It is to create resilience. And why is resilience important? Because we have a responsibility to, you know, at least have the same quality of life or the same quality of wines today in, you know, for our grandchildren or even for us, because hopefully, we'll, you know, life expectancy keeps on uh, growing. So we hope to be still around for at least uh, 40, 40, 50 years. So that was something I really wanted to underline these other concepts that really need to, to be next to it. Uh, with regards to our producers, I think uh, regeneration is uh, very well understood indeed. Uh, I, I can proudly say that we have a couple of very interesting producers doing very, very interesting work. And one thing that we do with this sustainability program of the Wines of Alentejo is we share a lot of information and we share a lot of experiences and we do a lot of site visits with producers and our producers are often quite uh, welcoming in sharing their what they do because they believe in it and they're proud of it and they see the results blooming in front of them uh, in you know they see life you go into these vineyards and we're talking about sometimes the states and bear in mind this is the portuguese scale not the chilean scale for instance or even the french scale but you know you go into 500 hectare estates or 800 hectare estates and you just see life in, in any way you know you see the the recovery of, of water lines you see the the the, the recovery of, of uh, tree uh, of tree lines bushes everywhere you see the cover crops uh, you know biodiverse cover crops everywhere you see the recovery of certain endemic species both of fauna but also flora so Clearly, there is a, a, as the Spanish say, a movida, so a movement that is clearly left the, 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 the start line. Um, and in our case, because it's so, like these producers, they have been actually doing this for a couple of years now. It's just, it, it couldn't. It couldn't start today and have results that could be shared. It had to have started almost a decade ago in certain cases. And so, obviously, there is a... I, I would believe in our case, it was kind of the perfect storm. So climate change appeared, but at the same time, a mindset, a new generation of people came into the region with world, you know, traveled, lived abroad, had the, the education, because I believe that probably the most important thing is the education. It's the most important thing that we can have as a human, as a thinking individual, is to use the education we are, you know, we have the privilege of, of having to then, you know, help us make informed decisions and so and then the technology appears and all you know the eu with the, the green deal and the fact that the climate is indeed warming up and winters are indeed more dry and when it rains it bombs the water it, it doesn't rain it's a bomb and when it's hot you know there's very strong heat waves larger and larger and so you know, the evidence is in front of your eyes. You have an investment made there. You need to, you know, have a, a, a cost benefit related with your investment. Often in agriculture, and this is something that it was said here, I believe before, on the particularities of, of the wine business, it's often a family thing. So it's an intergenerational uh, approach. So 
often people inherited it and want to leave it to somebody. So obviously the concepts of sustainability, of the durability uh, are embedded in the DNA of the wine business or at least of part of the wine business. And so obviously all of these aspects set the scene to, and obviously then the technology is improving more and more, precision irrigation and all of those other technologies. Universities are definitely starting to get out of their, and I apologize saying this to the academics in the room, but getting out of their hole and starting to indeed share and ask what are the real needs of, of, the, of the sector. And so there's all of these chains and all of these sharing and all of these networks that are being created that then help to, on one hand, materialize and, and, and visualize what's happening. And on the other hand, allow to tell other people, you see, this is not sci-fi, this is not made in a lab, this is not in the small scale. You can see this on a small scale, on a medium scale, on a large scale, and it works. And it needs to be definitely the, the part of the future. I guess that's how we're sure. looking at it here. So um, is regenerative for you and, and those you work with, is it organic plus? So it's no synthetic chemicals, and then a wider approach than organic offers. Is that is that how I wouldn't it's even I would I wouldn't even put the organic in the equation really. I would look at it in a systemic way. And I mean I have producers and I fair enough, I, I, I understand that point that say that the true sustainability is if you indeed need to pulverize with a chemical. If you indeed have a you know, okay, I, I also appreciate that organic works on preventive, not in corrective, but not everybody maybe have the team or the size on the capacity to do the, the, the proper preventive approach that it's required. So obviously sometimes some individuals may feel the need to pulverize with a pesticide if needed, but that does not necessarily mean that they are not creating a ecological corridor or a buffer zone, or they don't have all of their water lines alive and thriving. So I would say that it's definitely beyond organic. That's for sure. And but can you be regenerative without being dogmatically organic? Yeah, I would say. But I would, I would say that it's life, yes. rather. No. I, I would say life. So you can be regenerative and still use some synthetic chemicals where you absolutely have to in much smaller proportions than you might have done in the past, etc. I mean, I, I reckon it's to do with common sense. You know, there's a okay. common so I'll sense. Take, I'll take that as a yes. Basil, what are your yeah. views? <laughs> okay, we got there in the end. Um, Basil. Can you be regenerative and still use some synthetics when you absolutely have to? Yes, I think so. Um, you just have to compensate the way you're you're working. It's just, uh, I mean, many of the producers that who came to the to this um, to this uh, session we've had a few weeks ago, uh, many of them were not organic, and they still got interested in it. And so you can, of course, yes. Uh, then if if you forbid uh, the, 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 some, some producers, uh, it would be a huge mistake uh, because they are not organic. You say, well, you're not regenerative and you're not working this the right way. It's just, uh, it doesn't make sense. And if you can combine, this is, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's somehow, it's, this, it's, it's something else. It's, uh, it's not about uh, being organic or not. It's really something else, it's something on the side. So, yeah, I mean, um, I can imagine there's, there's a Toby, lot. Toby. I don't know how many, just a quick, quick, quick uh, give me a moment, Joe. 
Basil, on that point, yeah, I, I don't know how many producers there are in the crew bourgeois these days. They they seem to change the crew bourgeois thing every three years or something. But you know, there's, 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 it's low hundreds of crew bourgeois producers. Much of them selling wine at you know, well, by the time the consumer pays for it, 10, 15, 20 euros a bottle. I suppose your point is you don't want to exclude them from a, a more holistic approach by insisting on organic as a as a baseline. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, it's important. I mean, my, my wife is uh, is not is having an estate. It's not organic. It's been in our family for for hundreds of years, and uh, and it's funny because us we are now being regenerative, and she's she has always been this way, even though she's not organic and certified. Uh, so uh, yeah, well, you you must not exclude them. Of course not. Jao, uh, briefly, I can come to you. One and then, sentence. One then sentence. Abby briefly, and then to Stephen. One sentence. Uh, oh, you can't be it. engaging and be dogmatic at the same time. Impossible. Uh, no, that's a good line. <laughs> Abby. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think, uh, to me, dog being dogmatic is completely not aligned with what regenerative means. Um, and I would say that, for, although like I'm pro-organic in many ways. I actually think that organic and regenerative sort of, to me, are separate conversations. Um, and I actually think that regenerative is, if you're using chemicals and synthetics in a way where you're reliant on them um, and you perceive that you'll continue to be reliant on them into the future, you don't see them, then, then that's not regenerative because you're not using life to manage life. You're relying on synthetics to support, prop up a system. There's obviously something going wrong. so. Like it's, it is a mindset. Again, it comes back to how are you thinking about synthetics? So I would say that many people who start on this regenerative journey, and I think it is a journey, will end up in a place where they actually use like quite a lot of biodynamic preps or quite a lot of or, you know, organic things, because actually those are some of the best ways to use life to manage life. Um, and you will end up having to use less synthetics um, and probably maybe none. But that doesn't mean that we should come down on people at the beginning and say you shouldn't use synthetics or this is not allowed like to me that's a huge barrier in the beginning and if that's the way you want to go then go organic I, I think that's totally fine and that's a choice unto itself I would say that is a very interesting point Abby you know so it's a pathway effectively I guess at some point you've got to define the length of the journey but then the length of that journey has to be dependent on where you are and what your localized issues are Stephen that all sounds very reasonable doesn't it it does uh, I don't think we need to define the length of the journey because the journey never ends. So um, I think that what's important is we start with, well, we prove to ourselves, I think we, I think most people on this call have probably already done that, that, that there's a different way of farming. You know, there's kind of, I always thought there was conventional, organic or biodynamic. And so it's all very, it's all very restrictive. So I, I like the fact that we're not, you know, so far nobody's advocating um, certification for, for biodynamic because every vineyard is different. Um, and, and, you know, what works in one place is, doesn't work in another. And I think also it goes against the spirit of, as, as Abby talks about uh, in her uh, earlier on, is, is, is observational farming. You know, you, you've got to be so attuned to what you're doing to see the reaction to your, to your, uh, to your action and um, to, to really understand how it works holistically. I think the important thing, you know, the most important thing f for me to come out of talks like today is that, you know, the, the, this tail must wag the dog. 
you know, there, there, there are many wine farmers who don't have the time to spend listening to conversations like this over a, a, a series of a day or two days to, to, you know, input into their brains. Uh, as Basil says, we all have quite small brains, all this information. I think the, the most important thing is to understand the why. And then once you understand that is to go out and find that, you know, how do I do this? How do I actually make a difference? And, and for me in, in, in Provence, we, you know, we, we, we outsource a lot of what we do. You know, we have a, the next door neighbor does all the, does the farming for us. So he's comes and drives his tractor, but he's coming less and less on his tractor and he's thinking, observing more and more about what we're doing. And he's the president of the young vigneron society in, in, in Provence. So he's, he's quite influential. And what I'm hoping we can do is to try and talk to other wine farmers in, in Provence who are starting to reject what has been passed down through the generations before them about the fact that there's only one, you know, one crop, everything else is a weed, everything else is the enemy and starting to much more, you know, work much more holistically, you know, introducing cover crops and, and treating that as an armor on the soil. And like I said earlier, you know, if you, if you, if you view the soil as being a living organism, you want to protect it. You don't want to plow it up and oxidize it every, every, every couple of months or whatever it is. So that for me is the most important thing is, is how we take these conversations into the vineyard with farmers. And I think that it's, it's going to come down to, you know, beyond the passion and, and, and um, everything else that I can feel is coming across today is it's got to come down to economics. We've got to be able to prove that you can reduce the synthetic inputs and use natural inputs to, to get a similar or even better result. And once people see the economics of farming and stop, stop talking about yields, you know, we, we work with a guy um, in the foundation called Richard Lisk down in McLaren Vale. And he says the conversation has to change down at the coffee shop and it shouldn't be about yields. It should be about other things, um, including profitability, you know, um, because that's obviously what, um, what's going to drive and convert farmers who probably, unlike most, you know, most wine producers on this call, don't have the luxury of profitability even. It's such a fine line um, between success and failure every year. So we've got to be very cautious with what we're advocating. But surely, if you're a grape grower, if you think, you know, you think about Languedoc, where you can drive through the same vineyard for minutes and minutes at a time um it is about yield isn't it because if you don't have yield you haven't got fundamental economic viability if you're if you're a grower and you're selling on volume or weight and quality yeah it's a factor but you know it's not the biggest one perhaps then then yield is is important for those well it's, yes yield you have to have a yield and you can't you can't go on, on to a, a new farming method that's going to dramatically lower your yield but ultimately, you know, if your if your profitability is 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 actually really low because the cost of getting to that yield is t- spending tons of money with Monsanto, um, or you know, buying other synthetic fertilizers and so on, there there's a cost to the yield, and the cost isn't just a, isn't just a financial cost, as we know, it's an environmental cost as well. And yeah, that's a good point. Thank you, Abby. I just wanted to add to that. Um, so this is not a viticulture example, but I was talking to a. Um, animal farmer the other day and she was explaining how the penny dropped for her when she was doing some infiltration rates so seeing how water was going to infiltrate into her land Um, and she'd it was actually last year so they'd had a really really wet winter like insane amounts of water here in the UK and then as soon as it dried up all of the ground was like cracking and it was just like what has happened where did the water go and she did an infiltration rate and she saw that all the water just sat on the top of the land none of it infiltrated and then she's like, oh, that's where the water goes. It just runs off the land when it comes down. And so she was like, I've been focusing on productivity of my grassland, 
But if I can just get that water to go into the soil, there I've got my productivity because I can have three months more green grass all year round and I can keep my animals out for longer for free. You know, I don't have to buy in the hay or whatever I'm going to feed them. And so I think the, if you're focusing on yield or if you're focusing on productivity, you can end up asking some of the wrong questions. Um, and I think that's what's different about a regenerative approach is that often you do end up having, you know, more yields or more productivity, but the way you get there is actually a completely different path. And it's based on, um, you know, as Stephen's been talking about how alive the soil is, how can we increase the water holding capacity just by building health of our soil? Um, so you've got it's different paths to the same end, potentially. Can I add something to this, Toby? Please. Uh, I also I agree totally with everything everybody's saying. I just wanted to add that I believe that it's definitely important to, and it goes a bit to what Stephen was saying, it's definitely um, important to have scale, meaning, uh, and obviously I respect every dimension of producers in the world, but it's, we have the problem because of the scale. So it's the scale that has to have the solutions. So we need to have examples and we need to engage the big producers, the big farms, the big estates, because that's where the bulk of the impacts are done. That's where the money is spent. That's where the resources are spent. That's where the big bottles, the millions of bottles are shipped all over the world. It's it spawns from the big guys. So it's the big guys that need to be engaged. It's the big guys that need to be the flag and the champion to then engage the small guys. Because if you have a small guy, or even if it's a lot of small guys saying this works, the big guys will say, but it's that's not economy of scale. It won't work because you're small. You, you have two actors, you don't have 200 actors. So it's definitely important to have the examples of the big guys and obviously of the small guys so that we have you know, the variety we need. But above all, because it, this is the way I view it at least, the problem is with the big guys. So it's the big guys that need to bring the solution or at least the example because solutions are, are there, are readily available. But the examples need to come from the big to the small so that you know, we have a, a serious and true impact because you know, the butterfly effect does exist. And as it was also said in the previous um, panel, you know, when we're talking about carbon emissions, agriculture is 13% of the world, and then vineyard, um, viticulture is 0.3%. So it's nothing really, yet we are the ones getting a lot of impacts due to every other butterfly effects around. It was just that I wanted to share with. Thank you, yeah. And on the scale point, I, I wanted to come back to you on that, Basil. I mean, Bordeaux is a, a huge producer, and, and, and as we've discussed, organic and biodynamic and sustainability now regenerative is really becoming popular. Do you feel like regenerative will be something that the, the, the Bordelais will feel like they could talk more to consumers about at some point than sustainable or organic or the, the other terms? Does, does it feel to you like it'll be a way in which they can suddenly talk to, to customers? Because at the moment... You know, uh, I think one of your relatives runs Ponte Cane, right? Uh, and Ponte Cane have been biodynamic for a long time, but you don't, you don't really see it on the bottle. You know, the, the Bordeaux producers that are doing really interesting stuff, Palmer, smith Fee, yourselves, you, you, you don't do a lot on communications about it. Do you think regenerative will be the way in to start talking about doing it at scale as a region? Well, um the good thing about being regenerative and uh, planting uh, planting trees, uh, the landscape is changing. I mean, the the the, the way the, the the way the landscape is is evolving is really interesting. So it's a, it's a way to show it. 
being organic or, or biodynamic, you, you have nothing to show. Uh, but if you'll be coming back within three to five years in the vineyards here, over here, you'll see changing the way the, 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 the everything would have changed in, in, uh, from a viewing point of view. Uh, so it's, it would be easy to talk about it. And because you'd say, well, see, we've changed and actually you can see it. Uh, so it would be quite much easier to, to, to talk about it. Uh, rather than here, talking about organic or, or biodynamic is, uh, uh, it's difficult because you have all, all except a, a, a label or certification, you have nothing to show. Uh, so that's, that's an interesting fact. Uh, you, you go in the vines now, uh, having cover crops or, or trees, it's, uh, it's something that you can see and you can touch and you can feel. And it's direct. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience that you, that you leave actually walking in the vines. So it's something else now. Can I ask you a question, Basile, on that? Because I think it's very interesting very interesting that, uh, um, that you and, and, and other wineries who are innovative with regards to their farming have decided to, to embrace a new thinking about farming. Have you ever had any criticisms about the aesthetic, about the fact that you, know, you haven't, you probably, I imagine you don't always have the tidiest uh, vineyards because you have you know, crops lying in between them. Have you ever had any challenges from, from neighbors around that? Well, I do think if my grandfather was coming back from the death now, he would maybe want to kill me. Uh, so, uh, because it's, uh, yeah, it, it used to be a, a moonlight landscape before you could, you had only vines and no grass at all about 30 to 40 years ago. Um, so, yes, it's, it's changing. Uh, we don't have much critics. Uh, it's questioning small. Uh, it's a question, why actually do you do that? Uh, you know, we've had a, a huge frost uh, uh, session a few, uh, uh, a few few months ago. And we are all thinking about new ways to, uh, to fight this frost. Um, you've got the propellers, you've got uh, helicopters, uh, uh, candles, every, everyone had this solution. One of them uh, is now to, uh, to let the grass grow above the vines. Uh, and that's a natural one. Mm. And it costs almost nothing. So that's, that's the one that I really enjoy, if it's working. Uh, but people, but yeah, people working are properly? questioning. Is it really working? Uh, I don't know yet. We're going to try it next year. Uh, so we're going to plant the we're going to plant the herbs uh, in uh, just in September, just before the harvest, and let it grow above until uh, until the until around uh, May so, or something. We we'll see if it's working now. We we've heard that it was working, uh, uh, but it's only a word of mouth at the moment, so we don't really know. So that's the what that's uh, that's something. But actually, this year nothing worked really. And none of the solutions that are costing a lot in terms of money as well in terms of environment worked really well. So we need to find solutions. And if there are, solu there are solutions that are actually quite natural, we must use them, in my opinion. So, but, so that's what, uh, Toby, 
uh, yes, people are uh, not saying that we are doing wrong. They're just saying, they're just asking questions. Okay. I would have thought board, regenerative would be a really good paradigm approach for Bordeaux as a region, given that the city's kind of regenerated itself, right? I mean, I can remember when I was a kid, Bordeaux did, did, did not look like it does today, right? You know, it's the UNESCO World Heritage Site, I think, in places. It's an incredible transformation of a, of a city that had perhaps, you know, uh, like many in Europe, of course, had, had fallen into a bit of decay. So I would have thought regenerative as, a, as an approach for ecotourism, a way to kind of put the chemical use of the past in extremists, you know, in, in, in the past and keep it there. Regenerative would be a great approach for the city itself to take. But as you say, there's a lot of interest there. And um, do you see any uh, rising interest from the kind of municipal authorities as well around regenerative? Um, there's, I'm just really curious as to the kind of, what do what the, the, you know, the politicians and the bureaucrats think about this as, a, as an approach? Well, um, they're, they're in, they're, they're, you know, the bureaucrats, they get interested if, uh, if you have many people who are getting interested in, in it. Otherwise, they just leave you on the side. They don't care about it. Um, so you, just to be brief, um, the way agriculture, agroecology agro worked in France, the beginning of agroecology uh, in the in the mid 80s and, and, and the 90s was coming from a group of agriculture in the Gers. Uh, this uh, this group was this group's name was uh, Agriculteurs du Vivant. Uh, they found out in the Gers that the, the erosion was the erosion was massive, so. Uh, they, they wanted to find solution. And Jao, that, that's what, the, to come back to what you were saying, you need the big guys to get interested in it. Well, there's, there were, there, those were small guys who gathered and now became big because you have about 10,000 producers, agricultures working in France that gathered around them. So now they are the big guys somehow. Uh, that was really the beginning of regenerative uh, uh, agriculture in, uh, in France from, from, from this perspective. If, I do think if, you, if, you, if you're looking in, uh, in, from a marketing point of view into regenerative agriculture, you're missing a point totally because it's a long-term view uh, and, uh, and, it's, uh, and it's, a, all, it's almost a lifetime uh, session. It's, it's not, it's not a, it, uh, you won't make much money out of it. That, that's for sure. But the key word is resilience, isn't it? I mean, let, let me ask you all to comment on this. I, I've probably interviewed 100 winemakers and vineyards around the world, and always about sustainability in the last 10 years. And I always say to them, you know, what does climate change mean? And they all say volatility. You know, even if, as in the previous session, Charles Philippinot said, you know, we've had better weather, it's more volatile now. So volatility, what's the solution for volatility? Resilience. Right? So resilience for me is the magic word to get people interested in, regen in regenerative. Uh, I, I'm seeing nodding agreement here. Any comment? Stephen, um, yeah, you've no, got I, skeptical growers whose fathers don't like the fact that the vineyards aren't tidy anymore. So do they respond to the resilience thing, uh, even though they might hate the fathers, might hate the tiny vineyards? Oh, the tidy, sorry, the untidy vineyards. The untidy vineyards. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because uh, um, Richard Lees was saying that he, like I mentioned him earlier, in McLaren Vale, he's... He's got you know, high grasses growing in his cover crops and every so often someone knocks on his door and say, I take it that you've gone bust then. Uh, how much is it to buy the vineyard? Which is, which is brilliant. Now, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to always come. Well, well, you know, we need evidence. 
And that's that's why you know we, we've we've created the foundation. We need to get proof, um, and we need to also understand that um, there isn't a one size fits all in the sense that people these days want to have you know get a six pack and six pack in three easy sessions. You know, step one, two, and three. You know, there isn't that isn't the same with farming. What might work in Bordeaux may not work in Provence, and it certainly may not work in in, in Chile. So um, you know, we need to we need to prove. That um, the certain techniques are more resilient. You know, if Basil um, finds that actually having a high cover crop does help protect against frost, then then fantastic. You know, let, let's 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 talk about it and share it, and 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 we can emulate it. But it won't always protect against frost. You know, it's not binary, and that's the thing that farming is linear, and we've got to accept that. And it can take years and years to change. I'm so impatient. I'm saying let's stop let's stop plowing right now. Let's have cover crops. I want to have you know make a kind of zoo in this place. And and my guys are like no 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 Stephen takes time you know your your vines are are Monsanto addicts you know the, the the root structure is waiting for the next fix if you suddenly cut that off like cutting off heroin for drug addict you're going to have some serious symptoms there so the whole thing takes time but I think we we need to start collecting evidence and start proving that this is actually a more sustainable way of farming that's a really good point I remember years ago. Um, Actually, on the same trip that I came to see you, Basil, about 10 years ago, when my friends and I visited Lafon, we went to see the winemaker to Smith Lafitte, and they famously had had a nuked vineyard. And they said, I remember the, the, the winemaker said, because if you go in the cellar there, they, you've got a strata of the soil and glass, which is, you can see 20 feet of the soil or something. It's really interesting. And they said it took them 10 years to clean the soil. So, you know, you think about organic or biodynamic conversion times. That's about two, three, four times what convert, some conversion times can be to clean that soil. So it's a really interesting comment. But it, can, um, but it can be cleaned. You know, people talk about renewable energies. People talk about renewable resources. Soil is renewable if you do the right thing to it. If you let it leave it on its deathbed, then nothing, you know, it's going to die. Yeah. Fact, if it takes a long time, you can rebuild it. Well, we talked about the David Montgomery books earlier. Nicole and I both posted links to them where he talks about topsoil and how quickly it can be regenerated under the right circumstances. Nicole actually has an interesting question for the panel. I'm not sure if you, if you guys can answer this. If you can answer this, you're geniuses and you may save the world or certainly the, uh, the industry. She says, you know, how do we scale these concepts to get to critical mass? Um, and I, the obvious answer is education. <laughs> uh, or as Tony Blair would have said in his finest hours, education, education, education. Um, but uh, beyond that, how do, how do we get there? It's got to be about making the case to me for, for enlightened incentives, which, which has to sit alongside that education approach. But what else would we put in the mix? Zhao, uh, how, would you get this, how would you get these approaches to scale where you are? Well, again, uh, scale. You know, you have to identify champions. You have to identify people and companies of all uh, scales that are already doing their their journey. Uh, I look, as I said here, we have visual detectors, uh, and bear in mind, visual detectors of but then with an entire ecosystem attached of properties of a thousand to thousand hectares size. I mean, I remember when I went to Chile, I saw biodynamic vineyards of eight detectors. That is significant in biodynamic. So, I mean, engage people and, and give them the floor. Give them the floor. Create, don't have only, you know, educators or researchers or consultants doing the, the bid, but have like guys like Basil, like Stephen, like Abby, all different sizes, all giving their examples and putting the costs to it. 
that's highly important, putting the cost to it and the benefits on return of the costs so that people and the time it takes, as they were very well saying, this is you're, you're in this for the long term. You're not in it for the short profit. That's not what we're talking about. So above all, I would say that the, the, the solutions would be in the diversity, having people of different sizes, with different capacities, with different objectives and with, with different uh, results. But all of them, you know, in, in an integrated and cross-sectional approach that would then be appealing to everybody in the audience because you'll have people of all sizes in the audience, of all capacities in the audience. I would say that would be a good way to go. Yeah, you've got to make it aspirational, haven't you? I mean, we run these conferences through my other business on, on plastic and plastic pollution reduction. And companies are really struggling with this. It's it's a really tough, really tough one because of the explosion. And so last year, we got about the chief behavioral scientist for Unilever to come along and listen to the uh, and, and to talk to these plastic, these brands, these plastics businesses. And, and he stood up and he said, I don't know anything about plastics, but I know a bit about people. And the only thing you can do to solve this problem is to make your customers value plastic. And until you do that, you will not solve this problem. And then he sat down again. And I thought, that's either complete genius or total bullshit. Uh, let's see how the conference plays out. And guess what? The conference spent the next two days discussing on, not only that, but that was the dominant discussion throughout the next two days. And I think he was right. And I think that backs up your point, Joe. Um, now, we have to finish up here. But, Abby, let me give the final word to you. Uh, any concluding remarks, uh, if you'd like to address the point of uh, going to scale what would you say in the 30 seconds we have before we close? Um, I think I want to just uh, link this session to last session as well and climate change again and say that to me, if we focus or where I see the difference between regenerative and sustainable is that if you take a sustainable lens, you can end up just focusing on things like carbon and carbon counting and that actually that really misses the bigger picture. Um, and I also don't think people get particularly inspired about it. Um, and so it's not particularly aspirational in the same way. Whereas with regenerative, um, we can understand that actually the carbon emissions are linked to the water cycle, which is linked to having trees, which help cool the land near, you know, near your vines, which means that your soil won't heat up as much. And you just get this whole systemic understanding and view of things that a carbon calculator will never give you. Um, and so I think, uh, I wanted to, I heard your point in the last session, Toby, about the old growth forests, you know, they actually are carbon emitters or DHD emitters. And I think that to me, if we focus too much on sustainability, we can end up like cutting down old growth forests because they're carbon emitters, <laughs> which I think is like madness. Oh, look, um, yeah, that's already, I mean, that sort of thing has happened in Mexico. They did, Bloomberg did a thing on this a while ago. In Mexico, the government said, if you plant trees, you get paid. And instead of making it a community-based scheme, which it was initially, they made it about the individuals. So guess what happened? Mass deforestation, <laughs> so people can plant trees to get paid. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Oh, so, my God. And then oh, yeah. Bloomberg does a big piece on it, and the president of Mexico goes, oh, hang on a minute, this is wrong, let's change it back. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, Wow. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, and this is what companies have to be very careful about is this focus on carbon to the exclusion of the human factor, because the human factors is what is what's going to tackle carbon. But carbon as a goal on its own can be quite dangerous, as you say. We have to leave it there. Thank you all so much. Abby, Zhao, Basil, Stephen, fantastic contributions. Thank you very much to the audience. Great chat, which we will save. Thank you. Thank you.